Many of us enjoy sweet fresh fruit or delectable hot fruit desserts. The trees that give us such wonderful food are flowering plants that continually reproduce themselves. How do they do it? Stay tuned. God tells us that he created the fruit trees special, each to multiply after its own kind. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Genesis 1, 11, and 13 says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the evening and the morning were the third day. It's amazing how God set up the system of plant reproduction using seeds grown within the plant itself. Of course, evolutionists don't see the Creator's hand in all this. In fact, Charles Darwin called the origin of flowering plants an abominable mystery. Find some shade and relax for the next 15 minutes as we discuss the design of fruit trees. ICR biologist Dr. Gary Parker says there are many types of fruit, including some that we normally wouldn't think of as fruit. A fruit is a structure that surrounds and protects seeds. And in addition to the fruits that we think of, you know, like apples and pears and so on, tomatoes and pumpkins are fruit, corn, each little kernel is a fruit, grains and grasses and wheat are fruits, cockleburs are, and the fruit trees include oak trees. And acorns are a fruit that abundantly provides nourishment for many, many birds and and animals and squirrels and things like that. These fruit trees, called angiosperms, develop their produce from an ovary inside each flower of the plant. Dr. John Silvius, senior professor of biology at Cedarville University in Ohio, explains. Fruit trees are a part of the group of plants that are called flowering plants. And flowering plants would have the typical petals oftentimes and a ring of stamens perhaps that produce the pollen. And then around within the ring of stamens you would have the female portion which partly consists of an ovary and the ovary is the part that becomes the fruit. So in a cherry tree or peach or plum, the fruit that we would normally eat comes from the ovary which is a surrounding tissue that covers the seed. So when when we speak of fruit trees, we're speaking of those which have an ovary and the seeds are born inside of that ovary, which becomes the fruit. As Dr. Parker tells us, the male and female portions of the flower that generate the fruit work together in a variety of ways. They may occur together in one flower, or there may be separate male flowers and female flowers, and then The separate male and female flowers may be on the same tree or different trees. So a lot of times in, you know, growing things commercially, in the case of figs, for instance, you need at least one male tree in order to provide pollen for several female trees. And certain kinds of fruit trees won't bear fruit because they're just the male tree that provides the pollen and not the female tree whose parts will develop into the fruit. And where you plant certain fruit trees makes all the difference in the world. One of the key things about fruit trees is that many, many kinds of fruit will not develop unless they experience a prolonged exposure to cold. It doesn't have to be below freezing, but it has to be cool for perhaps several weeks. The amount of time and temperature vary with each other. In San Diego County, for instance, 
you can grow an apple tree down in San Diego near the coast, but the apple tree won't bear fruit. It never gets cold enough to remove the inhibitors from the fruit to allow it to develop. However, fruit will not be produced on these trees unless they are properly pollinated. Retired ICR biologist Dr. Ken Cummings says there are some rather pesky creatures that play an important role in making sure these flowering plants grow their fruit. They can be pollinated by a wide range of insects, and we see that in beetles and mosquitoes and flies and moths and butterflies, just a wide range of invertebrates that are responsible for pollination of these flowers. For the most part, angiosperms are not self-fertilizing, so they require some vector to take the pollen from one flower and transport it to another flower on another plant. While pollination is an important part of fruit production, what about the dispersal of seeds after the fruit has grown? Dr. Parker tells us that animals are a great help when it comes to planting new fruit trees. This is part of God's design to have create the green plants as uh, food for the various animals. But as the animals eat the fruit, the seeds often pass through undigested. So they're deposited here and there, even with a little fertilizer. And so it benefits the animal, gets the nourishment of eating the fruit. And then the fruit tree gets the benefit of being scattered about all over the place. Dr. Silvius tells us that some angiosperms have a different way of sowing their seeds. Other fruits that do not become as much of a food supply for animals might use other mechanisms for dispersal, such as maples and ashes. These trees produce fruit that form wings, and so you have the maple, typical helicopter-type seed that many are familiar with, blowing in the wind. The wing itself in maple is formed by the fruit, which develops partly into a wing structure. So here, instead of a very attractive food supply, the fruit becomes a wing that can carry the seed off in the wind. It's fascinating that some flowering plants have winged seeds, because another type of tree called gymnosperms, which do not produce fruit, have the same kind of mechanism for seed dispersal. Dr. Silvius. This raises an interesting challenge to evolutionary biologists, because it turns out that conifers, which are naked seeded plants, such as the pines, spruces, the larches, hemlocks, these conifers have no ovary and therefore no covering on their seeds, and they're called gymnosperms. Yet they do have winged seeds, amazingly, and when their cones open up, when the seed is mature, the cone will open and the seed will come out and fly in the wind very much like the maples and the ashes do. What this points out then is that they are very different. To an evolutionist, they're very different. They evolved along different lines. They must have had separate genes that actually were responsible for the development of this wing in two very different forms of the anatomy. And therefore, they would assign this to convergent evolution. In other words, we have evolution from a common ancestor that eventually diverged into two very different lines, that is the conifers and the fruit trees, and yet both of them come up with a wing through supposed evolution, that is they converge on the idea of a wing. 
However, creation scientists understand that these trees were specifically designed by one creator and not through evolutionary chance happenings. In comparing the fruit trees and the conifers from a creation perspective, God's purpose was to design each of them in a separate kind according to his purpose, and the production of a wing in the case of the fruit trees is he's using genes that are part of the ovary system, whereas in conifers, which have no ovary, the wing is produced through a development from the seed coat. So you have two very different sets of genes responsible for the wing in these two different, very different kinds of plants, and suggesting that these genes would come by mutation and random processes and undirected natural causes is a major problem for evolution. The wing would have had to come about independently the way it looks, but how could that have happened even once, let alone twice, in two different ways? Dr. Parker. Fruit trees show up suddenly and in abundance in the same rock in which some dinosaurs are found. Charles Darwin recognized that the first time you find flowering plants and fruit trees in the fossil record, you find all kinds of them. You find lots and lots of different kinds, the same kind we have today with all of their parts and features complete and fully intact. And so Charles Darwin called the origin of flowering plants, including the fruit trees, quote, an abominable mystery, unquote. From the creation point of view, it's no mystery at all. God tells us that he created the fruit trees special, each to multiply after its own kind. And that's exactly what we find powerful confirmation of what the Bible teaches. They did find a fruit tree and a rock layer below the one where they're so abundant. They said, ah, see, that solves Darwin's mystery. But of course it didn't. It just made the mystery worse. And so you still had a fruit tree as a fruit tree, even back earlier. And so that was no help at all to the evolutionists, just more confirmation that God's word is the surest guide to understanding God's world. Fruit is a wonderful food that is enjoyed by many. However, man uses fruit trees for more than just nutrition. Dr. Cummings says these flowering plants not only satisfy our hunger, but are also lovely to behold. Fruit trees, for example, are used frequently in plantings around homes or in gardens or in open forested lands for beauty. Their form and their colors and the shape and change of their leaves and color are just wonderful, beautiful attractions for mankind who can appreciate them. So part of the purpose of these trees is for aesthetic beauty, not only for nutrition, but to be pleasant to the eye. They also are important in being boundaries. They could be used in hedgerows for breaking the wind or shielding the sun or for keeping noise out. They are very important for shade as well as for moisture, not to mention that like other trees, they are producing oxygen. So they're increasing the oxygen or the flavor or the smell of the air around us. Dr. Parker says fruit trees are also a source of some beautiful and useful building material. You know, the hardwoods like the various kinds of oaks and cherry wood and mahogany and things like that. Wow, just fantastic for building and for furniture, shipbuilding, things like that. 
So it's no wonder that civilization has generally grown up in association with uh, fruit trees and hardwood forests. It just has a lot of benefit to us. Fruit trees do provide us with excellent food, shelter, and clean air. But there's one very special fruit tree we should learn about that was in the Garden of Eden and will also be in the New Jerusalem as well. Dr. Parker tells us about the tree of life. After we sinned, and our sin brought death and separation from God, God put angels to guard the way to the tree of life, lest we eat and live forever. I used to think before I was a Christian that was cruel of God, but now I realize God didn't want us to live forever in sin. He wanted us to live in a restored relationship with Him. And so when we think about fruit trees, we can think about the ultimate nourishment from the tree of life itself that will sustain us forever and ever in a risen relationship with our risen Lord. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.